This week, Professor Chris McClellan is in the house. We're chatting caffeine. It's a good one. There's some really interesting stuff in this. We're talking strategies, how to use, when to use, what to do, looking at both physical and cognitive health. Let's get on. The truth is there. Listen to the research. Macca covers it all. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hydroxyburn Shred, Chaos, and Hydroxyburn Clinical, helping you smash your goals in and out of the gym. Hydroxyburn Shred is your daily thermogenic designed to blast stubborn fat cells, increase energy, and suppress appetite. Need something to take your training to the next level? Chaos pre-workout delivers the strength, power, energy, and focus you need to smash your next session. Want more? Stack with Hydroxyburn Clinical for all-day energy and to reduce the stress stopping you from losing weight. We're back on deck at Body Science HQ. It's podcast time. With me, our favourite time-restricted, diurnal, intermittent, modified, keto, targeted fasting, Dr. Chris McClellan. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. What's been, going down? It's been a few weeks. I've been uh, I've been away. You've been away? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, you know, something different. Good. We're going to um, really hack in today on a big topic that we get asked a lot about here, caffeine. Yep. I'll so, stay in my lane, but, you know, yeah, 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 open, yeah. full disclosure, not a dietitian or nutritionist. Nutrition aficionado. So if you've been living in a bubble, caffeine's a natural stimulant found in coffee, tea, chocolate, and a very common additive to sports nutrition powders. Absolutely. And we- if you look at the data, about 87% of people, adults, consume some form of caffeine on a daily basis in the order of, you know, 150 to 200 milligrams a day, which is interesting. Mate, can we have a chat today on like the effects of caffeine, overdosing, coming down? You've got a good story on a couple of those. Long-term yep. effects. <laughs> Using Surely. caffeine for performance and metabolism. Any ingredients you think? we should maybe talk about using it with and withdrawals and your favorite adrenal fatigue no oh, so for sure let's let's we can talk through it absolutely kicked off with probably the most commonly used ergogenic aid on the planet and it has been for quite some time the, the original a lot of the early research when we said we we're going to talk about this so i went through back through a few uh exercise physiology texts i found some stuff wait 1978 was a lot of the work from costal and, and a few other researchers that looked at it from a performance measure and we'll talk through that because there's, there's probably three primary mechanisms mostly associated with endurance type exercise and prolonged endurance can um, i ask something here yes what well, you don't think of endurance athletes or endurance exercise and caffeine well no no that's where it probably originated it was most or the, the research has always been around glycogen sparing effectively mm-hmm. uh, within muscle and a, an increased utilization of lipid for energy fundamentally yep. and then that would prolong time to exhaustion and okay. that that's been the very early work around endurance type training with caffeine and there's a lot of it if you look at pubmed so pubmed are the international database for peer-reviewed research which is where you want to go when people say they're talking about research yep if it's not on pubmed it's Comics. It's okay. Yeah, it didn't happen. I had a quick look last night, uh, about 15,000 peer-reviewed papers on caffeine wow. across all different sectors, across performance and health and well-being and all that sort of thing. So hugely investigated. We know a lot about it. Uh, I think there's. I think we could spend a whole lot of time just talking about some of the myths because there's a, a little bit of misunderstanding, I think, in terms of where it sits. There's always a little bit of hysteria around mm-hmm. what it is and what it, and how dangerous it is or it isn't. We absolutely know that it's it's got a lot of benefits for health and mm-hmm. we'll get to that in a minute. Most of the uh, the research tells us that for the mo- for the vast majority of people, pretty safe. If you're someone who's perhaps got a history of chronic disease, you know, heart disease, history of heart attacks, things like that, then 
for sure it's a stimulant, and we'll talk about what that even means in a minute. Anything that's stimulatory to your cardiorespiratory system uh, or vascular system as well is something that you need to be considered of prior to putting it in your body, any stimulant, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, there's a lot of common sense that goes into this, and, and it's a pretty dynamic space in terms of what our thought processes are. There's a whole lot of misunderstanding around how it perhaps interacts with some products. Like the first one I get a lot is creatine. You know, does it interfere with creatine? And I, I found one study that was done about 10 years ago that indicated that it may have a detrimental effect on creatine for strength power type sports. One. So I found about 15,000. I found one that said that there may be some detrimental effect. That's not enough evidence in my world to suggest that it's got any sort of negative effect on creatine utilisation in strength and power. Caffeine for strength and power type sports is a little bit hit and miss anyway. You need fairly high dosages in the order of perhaps six to seven milligrams per kilo of body mass. Okay. Which is substantial. And in fact, most of the work, the other one lends into intermittent type exercise. So repeated high intensity sprint type efforts. Yep. Where the reality with that type of exercise, and I talk about this a lot to students and exercise science people, it has to do with PCR, phosphocretin utilization and yep. anaerobic energy metabolism. Caffeine doesn't have a huge impact on that whole mechanistic side of how that works. Okay. So you would need to have, well, the research tells us in the order order of 7 to 10 milligrams per kilo. That's a ton of caffeine. You, well, you're feeling crook on that, actually, because you know, that, that's, that's tipped you over any sort of you know, psychomotor. So it's called a psychomotor stimulant, the psycho being the cognitive side of things, the motor being the performance side of things, yep. not psychotic or anything like that. But I think there's a, there's a tipping point. It's like the Yerkson curve, the, you know, there's a, an inverted bell curve, the Yerkson-Dobson law. Have you heard about that with I'll arousal? Just, I'll just nod and say yes. Oh, well, it's pretty much when it comes to arousal and performance, if you're under aroused, you're going to perform poorly. Would you agree? I don't know. Most likely, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're over aroused, you're also going to perform pretty poorly. So there's okay. a sweet spot that sits somewhere in there yep. where you've got an optimum level of arousal. And I an thought that was a loaded question, mate. That's why I didn't go there. No, no, no. Yeah, sorry. See, I'm professional <laughs> yeah. and I'm keeping yeah, it on right. track. I'm not sure how I got onto that, but if you're throwing around 10 milligrams per kilo of body mass. 10. Well, seven to 10. That's yeah. what that's what we're hearing. You know, if you put that in perspective for the listeners, I'm about 100. What are you? How heavy are you? Let's just work on 100 kilos so we can do the mass. Yeah, but how heavy are you? Just, you know, just so I want to do this accurately. What would you be rolling around at? Oh, let's just say 110. 110. So that's 200 and what? 235 pounds ish 240 pounds it's quality anyway, we'll, we'll work on 100 kilos yep. so that's a thousand milligrams of caffeine right so if you take a no dose which is a hundred milligram tab you got 10 of them so if you throw 10 of them in your mouth you're going to not feel particularly well no if you put it in the red bull world or the or the monster world red bull's got about 80 milligrams 80 of, i think yeah uh, 80 milligrams of caffeine oh no do the math what's that 12 12 your pre-workouts are from 150 to 300 yeah most so if, you, if you're rolling around 200 it's uh five scripts so it's a pretty solid dose and we do know greg that when it comes to reading the labels of supplementary sports foods and so forth. Well, I, I scoop. What's a scoop? In your here, here we go. This is a good question for the viewers. <laughs> here we go. So it says one scoop. In my world, a scoop may or may not have a heaped Absolutely. Um, top. So is that a full scoop or is it a, or do I run a, a, a spoon across the top and level it out? Is yeah. it a level scoop or is it a scoop where there's a little bit falling off the side? Yeah, look, when you look at labeling, it shouldn't say one scoop. It should say the exact dose. Yes, yeah. which would be like a five gram. The scoop may not be suitable for the dose. So, right. Because there's only so many scoops you can buy in the world. Yeah, true. And true. every powder's got a different density. It's a rough guide anyway, though. I, yeah. In my world, if you know, if you said to me, Macca, throw two scoops in, I'll probably throw a 
might have three. Yours you know, would be loaded two. scoops too. They wouldn't be. Yeah, it might yeah. be a scoop. So the question is, is scoop a scoop? Mm. And that's the question. Anyway, so far off track, it's not funny. So caffeine uh, as a psychomotor stimulant, hugely uh, popular around the world. We're talking about this before we even started around. Is there a safe dose? That's yeah. a big question. It's a massive question. And this is where the perhaps the, the traditionalists of the world may want to debate the point. So we will provide documentary evidence to support anything we present in Perfect. this in this podcast and I'm not endorsing anything one way or another I'm just going to report the research and it tells us that up to 400 milligrams a day uh, presents no adverse health effects a day or a serve no 400 milligrams a day no, I'm just checking that out 400 milligrams a day which you can have in one serve if yep. you want I suppose 400 milligrams a day no adverse health risks okay. in otherwise healthy populations so good for well-being you know we can get into a conversation around health but I mean let, let's just break it down first so caffeine the real name well the, I suppose the proper name is 137-trimethylxanthine so it's part of the xanthine group can I go and get my cup of 137-trimethylxanthine <laughs> I think you should I don't think that'll work just, there's three methyls there's three <laughs> methyl groups that are on a parent xanthine compound it's pretty simple chemistry okay yeah you could draw that with a few little you know little images there the beauty of Caffeine as a, I know we a lot of people call it a drug. I call it an ergogenic aid, but yep. if we want to, uh, is it a drug? Well, it's listed as a drug in a lot of literature. Yeah, okay. Well, if you were performing at the Olympics prior to 2004, you would have been calling it a drug because mm. if over, what, 12 millimole, was it micromole? Micromole. Over 12, I think it was, was an adverse doping test. So you'd be filthy if you had a positive dope because of caffeine in 1996. A bit of chocolate. And you had one too many coffees, but pretty easy to do. I would suggest, and we'll talk about... Well, Very that lends into monitor. a conversation around uptake and half-life and things like that. Because it's in everything, caffeine, really. It's in everything, yeah. absolutely everywhere. And that's where we're going to talk about how you can have some adverse findings, definitely depending on with different populations and where it's sourced from. And I think pre-workouts get a bad rap. I think energy drinks get a bad rap. You've got to read the research properly because it's very easy. Like with any data, that data can be interpreted and perhaps skewed one way or another, depending on the, the agenda yep. of whoever's interpreting Absolutely. the data. That's why when people say to me, oh, research says that um, you know energy drinks are bad for you. I go, 15,000 well, of them? No, energy drinks, not caffeine. Oh, oh, sorry. Big difference. Yeah, massive. And I'll say, well, what, what research? Show it to me and let's, let's, have a, let's have a conversation about it because I think there's a skill in being able to re read research. And that's what I tell students that, that come through university programs if, if they leave and all they can do is read a paper interpret a paper and critically appraise the literature and make good decisions i think you know you've done a good i've done a good job because that's not always a given so i always read the research myself if someone cites the work of Greg Young, I'm going to download that paper and I'm going to go and read it and make some decisions for myself because it, it's really easy to skew it. And that's happening right now with caffeine and energy drinks, yep. big time, and artificial sweeteners and all that sort of stuff. Like the research on artificial sweeteners for adverse health effects, and you, you would have seen this, it's been pretty well populated, done on mice. The doses were enormous, so much so that it, it'd be almost impossible for a human to consume those levels of artificial Absolutely. sweeteners. And then maybe, and then you get into a conversation with the, the zeal around gut health and gut microbiome <laughs> are we gonna i don't know if we're gonna yep. go there today but you've started it you well might. you know because <clears throat> people say that the the energy drinks well they say the caffeine's bad for you i say prove it because it's not and then they'll say well the artificial sweeteners are bad for you and i'll say prove it because they aren't well if they are it's not 
no one's slam dunked that in my world yet. And I'm happy if only any of the readers want to send in papers that absolutely quantify it and do not send me something from the Egyptian, you know, journal of something I was going to say. PubMed only, guys. Yeah. I mean, proper literature. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions around that. Anyway, but the beauty of caffeine is that it's got really good uptake. It's almost mm -hmm. 100% absorbed. One of the good things, uh, probably the best vehicle to deliver caffeine is actually gum, chewing gum. Okay. And I know certainly the military have used that for guys are deployed overseas and things like that you get a good uptake through the the buccal glands and through the salivary glands so really good absorption and even within the intestines about almost 100 percent. so really well absorbed most drugs or substances that we consume have to go through the liver we call it a first pass to yep. get into the circulation so caffeine doesn't have to do that so it's not you know not sort of limited by that so we get a really good uptake. Peak levels within perhaps 30 to 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes, that's going to be impacted by how you take it. Yeah. And if you have a meal with it versus you know an energy drink versus a pre-workout versus a capsule versus whatever, the less things that can interfere with absorption, the better. So if we, can I just ask you, if we're using yeah. it as a pre-workout, Yeah. 30 minutes before we train? Perfect, yeah. And definitely not eating, you said food can affect it? Like. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't eat with it. I don't think a lot of people eat much Not half an hour, but anyway. what if I ate two hours before? Oh, three hours well, before. again, it probably depends what you ate mm -hmm. with digestion rates, but most of that would be cleared. Okay. Maybe if you had a keto box and had a whole lot of protein, it's probably going to take a little bit longer to absorb. But for the most part, you'd be fine with have that. Have a meal before you go, pre-workout. Yeah. If you're going to have a serious training session, you probably don't want an enormous amount of food in your gut anyway. I mean, I don't eat an hour or two before a workout. I so don't either, but no, some but, people so do. So it's not really a big issue. I'm just trying to work out for the people like how to take Yeah, most people how to use caffeine. If you, can, if you can have a meal an hour or two before your workout, you have your caffeine maybe 30 minutes before your workout. You should have peak levels around about the time you start. The half-life of caffeine, which half-life gets a little bit confused, it's the time that it takes to reduce the saturation or the quantity of a circulating tabloid in your blood by half, by 50%. So we go 50%, then half of 50%, then half of 25%, then half of 12, and then half of 6.25, etc., etc. So again, with caffeine, it's pretty long. It gets into your system very quickly, and it's in your system for variable, but around two and a half to up to five hours. Is that right? Yeah. So if you're topping it up throughout the day, you will have high levels of circulating caffeine throughout the day. No question. I think that's where it would have been easy to have a positive doping test back in the day. Absolutely. If you had, because you could have had, I don't know, let's say you had, you couldn't accidentally have too much caffeine though, because back in those days, there weren't a lot of pre-workouts anyway, I wouldn't have thought. What's the evolution of pre-workouts? They've been around a while. Yeah, but yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, you can't accidentally have 15 coffees, I wouldn't have thought, unless you've got one of those really big... What about busy day? Well, <laughs> I know you, you were talking me through a minute ago, you have more caffeine than I do, which is quite the achievement. But what are those big, does body science have them, the big sort of half a gallon You've been in America, flasks. haven't you? You're talking gallons. No, or well, two litre, three litre <laughs> flasks, which people drink, swig on while they're doing their workout. Yeah, we did. They're very popular at the moment. They are. Mm. That's a lot of fluid to drink while you're doing weights, don't you think? I would have thought. You're the expert, mate. It is. Yeah, anyway. Okay. So what's interesting though, Greg, <laughs> is there are some things that will also impact on it. Tobacco, all right? Although we're, I suppose, mostly going to be listened to by the health and fitness community, there may be some persons who smoke cigarettes that listen to these podcasts. Here's the bad news. If you start your day with a couple of cigarettes and a cup of coffee, the cigarettes will reduce the uptake of your caffeine by 50%, up to 70%, but at least 50%. Is that right? Well, so, I'm going to throw a little rule out here. How about you just drop the cigarettes? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a bold right there. 
there, mate. My question is, because I don't know the answer to this, but I pondered this mm-hmm. as I just spoke just then. Yeah. Do electronic cigarettes have tobacco in them? I don't know. I've never had a smoking Producer? addiction. If an electric, if an, you know, the electronic yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. If they have tobacco, because I thought that's why you had them, because they had the tobacco, but not all the other stuff. The tobacco will impede your uptake of caffeine. Get off the coffin nails and drink your coffee and you'll be fine. <laughs> go for um, a walk. Go for a walk. No first pass through the liver, so it's really good. But And then ultimately caffeine is metabolized in the liver. It's, mm-hmm. it's the site. There's actually an enzyme. It's called a P450 oxidase enzyme. There are a few of these things called dimethylxanthines, which doesn't matter too much, but there's a parazanthine, which is about 84% of the, the methylxanthines that are that exist within, that are broken down from caffeine. And they increase lipolysis is where I'm heading with this. So yeah. they play a role in thermogenesis yeah. and plays a role in utilization of fat fundamentally. So I know it's in a lot of the thermogenics. Caffeine's in the body science thermogenic, I would imagine. It is, For yep. sure. Yeah, of course. I should know because I drink it every day. People talk to me about, well, met- metabolism, right? Because everyone goes, oh, well, caffeine increases your metabolism. And you know me, I'm a fairly mechanistic dude. I want to know. I say, why? How? How does that happen? So we know that there are there is a catecholamine induced, so noradrenaline and adrenaline induced increase. So catecholamines, I suppose, the the fundamental stimuli for flight or fight response. Yep. Okay. So that's basically increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, things like that. So caffeine in sedentary people will increase your metabolic rate on the back of a catecholamine induced increase in heart rate and blood pressure by nine calories an hour. Now it's not very much on its own, but still better than nothing, right? And it is dose dependent. That will go up with a higher dose. I suppose what I'm saying is there is a bona fide thermogenic effect of caffeine. And so when you're talking about, well, what do we put in these products? There's an absolute slam dunk justification for the use of caffeine in the thermogenic and a pre-workout. The other thing people carry on a fair bit about with caffeine in pre-workouts, I'm on a rant, hey. No, Are you, have you I'm spoken loving this. No, no, it's all about pre-workouts. So caffeine is a vasoconstrictor, right? It constricts the vascular system fundamentally. Whereas if you want to pump, you're thinking vasodilation, mm-hmm. right? You're thinking more blood in to the working muscle. So people think, well, if I have caffeine, that's going to stuff up my workout and I'm not going to get a pump. I don't know about you, but I don't have any problems getting a pump, taking a pre-workout. I do on keto. Did you have that problem on keto? No. Didn't you have that problem? I had that problem. I don't know if any of the listeners, any sort of keto people listening, but... So we're dropping keto out of this? No, no, no. The keto's... I'm modified keto. I like my keto, but I can't stay on keto because I felt flat as a tack. I probably didn't stay with it, you know, the keto flu or whatever you want to call it. I felt fine psychologically, mentally, all that mental acuity, all good. Everything's great. I actually felt really good on keto, but I couldn't get a pump. I was flat as a tack. And, you know, five, six, seven scoops of pre-workout and still no pump. Yeah, you probably got to look at your diet when you're doing that and go, is keto working for me? Well... That's, I was exaggerating. <laughs> I was, I was, I've looked for someone to bite with the things. I suppose you, you have to have an understanding of how... You like lifting heavy, though. Like you're, You lift heavy. Yeah, I lift pretty heavy. What yeah. you're saying, we're not here to pick cherries or well, something? Well, you're not going to get big picking cherries, That's mate. That's it. It's as simple as that, right? Someone actually asked me to put that on a T-shirt for you the other day. Well, some things in life are just truisms mm. that cannot be escaped. That's just one of them. Well, if you want to grow, and we talked about this in a previous podcast, if you want hypertrophy, there are some inconvenient realities that are necessary. One is mechanotransduction. You need to mechanically load muscle. You need metabolic adaptation. People will argue that a bit at the moment, but until I'm convinced otherwise, you still need metabolic adaptation. By that, I mean hydronine proliferation. I mean lactate adaptations, things like that. Hydronines, we know stimulate growth hormone. We know stem cell proliferation. We know, know the donation of mononuclei from myogenic stem cells we know all that stuff we went through that i'm, I'm glad time. you know that well we know that and that's yeah. part of it right you need trauma 
You need some trauma. You need an element of inflammation to facilitate the whole healing process. And that's where, when I talk about recovery, because there are some recovery modalities that are very popular, cold water immersion, cryotherapy, all that sort of stuff. When I'm talking about recovery, and this has got nothing to do with caffeine, I'm on a massive rant. First question I ask is, what are you recovering from, right? So if you've been out and it's 35 degrees Celsius outside, middle of the day, and you've just done you know, a high-intensity interval workout, running or something like that, then you want to drop your core temp, you want to rehydrate, refuel, all yep. that sort of stuff, right? You're not going to have a huge amount of micro trauma in muscle. But if you've just done a set of chest, a, a chest, what are you doing? Chest and biceps? Yeah, doing? why not? What's your go-to? Mate, I'm doing more. Oh, your, your favorite don't you say fun- functional? Functional training yeah. on my journey. <laughs> well, when the rest of us are doing heavy chest and buys or tries or whatever you want to combine with, see, I don't go chest and everyone goes chest and buys. Why would you do that? Well, if you smash you your chest sufficiently, no, no. <laughs> but if you smash your chest sufficiently, you're going to inc- recruit a fair bit of try. So by the time I get the triceps, they're gone. So what's the point? Unless I'm going to do try first, in which case they're gone before I get to chest. These are inconvenient things. Anyway, so what I'm saying to you in a long, long long-winded rant here is that if you want to grow, if you want muscle hypertrophy is important to you, do not leave the gym and get in a nice bath. Go and put your compression on, go and rehydrate, go and refuel, all that, stay out of an ice bath. Ice baths attenuate inflammation, cryotherapy attenuates inflammation, which attenuates healing. We probably need to look at doing a podcast on that because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around there's a huge amount that recovery yeah. process and there's a lot about. of research on it and it's been done to, it's it's slam dunk there's no sort of room for you know argument it, it is what it is so i think you asked me at the start how does caffeine work did you ask me that i did it was about well, caffeine yeah we were talking about caffeine this podcast is about caffeine yeah <laughs> so that was a great rant sorry yeah i love oh, a rant no i loved it so mate you obviously uh smash and pre-workout before you train before podcast yeah before you podcast before yeah. you train yeah no you gotta have it before you. well yes, yes. I, I am a advocate of the pre-workout can i train without it probably yeah. do i want to no do i need to are there any adverse health effects no does it assist me get through my workouts yes i think so i like to think i train pretty heavy for a i've seen in the gym you do for a decent and the pre-workout well i think it i think it's an it, it helps my workout so does it have there's no adverse effects doesn't stop you getting a pump no big deal caffeine three main effects i suppose what you asked me at the very start we've always thought an increased mobilization of what's called intracellular calcium and i'll talk to you a bit about that the other one was an inhibition of what's called phosphodiesterdiases which is more around the catecholamine response which is the adrenaline noradrenaline response and the third one which is probably the most commonly known slash associated with the the cognitive side of caffeine. So I think there's a, in terms of mental focus, in terms of all of that sort of thing, I find it, you know, pretty beneficial is caffeine as a trimethylxanthine antagonistically binds with adenosine receptors mainly in the basal ganglia in the brain antagonistically means it blocks them it binds with them and does the opposite like stops drowsiness that's exactly what it does yeah. adenosine as a it's a purine adenosine is associated with drowsiness so by blocking adenosine receptors it blocks drowsiness so it's like a what do you call that a double entendre i don't even know is that such is well, that what we call? it's a double ne- it's a double negative yeah so yeah, very much it's 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 a stimulatory sort of response that we see. With regard to the mobilization of intracellular calcium, we know that calcium sensitizes the contractile apparatus within muscle. So we've talked about that in the past, actin and mice and the little little things that cross bridging across and what's called excitation contraction coupling and when it, when a muscle shortens it develops force. So we know that caffeine sensitizes those little apparatus to I suppose be more forceful is probably a really simple way yep. to describe it. An increased mobilization of intracellular calcium that comes from the sarcoplasmic reticulum within the muscle. So a little action potential comes down, 
through a thing called the T-tubule, gets to a sarc- the SR, the sarcoplasmic reticulum, releases calcium. That calcium then has an impact on the orientation of those little contractile elements within the muscle, and they produce force, really simply. Now, because of the increased sensitization of that, there is a element of reduced fatigue. Is it going to make your way stronger? Probably not. But will it enable you to maintain the outputs of your workout? So, you know, can I get three sets of 100 kilos out instead of two sets? Yep. The answer is probably yeah. It's going to help you with that. With regard to inhibition of things called phosphodiesterases or PDEs, we're getting into a conversation now around catecholamine. So caffeine is a competitive inhibitor of these things called, and it's they're, cyclo, um, they're cyclic nucleotide phosphodiesterases. I know it's a big mouthful, but what it does- I can't it, believe you can remember that. It inhibits cyclic AMP, C-A-M-P. And by inhibiting the breakdown of these phosphodiesterases, I'm just going to call them PDEs. What that does then, it has an impact on the accumulation of cyclic AMP, and that then has a stimulatory effect on catecholamines. Catecholamines, adrenaline, noradrenaline, then has an increase in blood pressure, heart rate, increased metabolism, mm-hmm. flight or flight response. Yep. So I've got mobilization of calcium, I can produce force. I've yep. got more of this adrenaline response. And the third one is I've got more or less drowsiness. So I've got adenosine receptors. Adenosine receptors is pretty cool how that works. But basically there are four G-protein coupled adenosine receptors, main, mainly within the basal ganglia, part of the brain. They're sort of throughout the brain, really, periphery of the brain, into the cortex and so forth. But we have, there's A1, A2A, A2B, and an A3 fundamentally. There's a preferential binding of caffeine with the A1 and the 2A. Now, they play a role. Well, the other thing that's interesting is that habitual caffeine users have more of these receptors. There's an upregulation of the receptors from long-term use of caffeine. What is habitual well, caffeine yeah, I was use? What's habitual? So technically, 400 milli- um, anyone who uses 400 milligrams a day or thereabouts for more than five consecutive days. Oh, okay. So a lot of people. I'm in there. Yeah, yeah, you're, I'm in there as well. And so caffeine's non-selective though. It hits all of those receptors, but its preference is the A1s. So when the A1s are activated, they, um, well, normally when an A1 receptor, adenosine receptor, because it's drowsiness, it promotes sleep. So this, the caffeine gets in the way of that. So it'll help you not sleep, which is why you shouldn't probably take your pre-workout at seven o'clock at night. The reason you can't sleep is because you've got preferential blocking of A1 adenosine receptors within your brain Mm -hmm. and you're alert. That's why you take caffeine. That's the number one probably the main effect. Absolutely. And even when it comes to sports performance, because with that comes a perception of pain, a perception of fatigue, and there's a whole lot of perceptual variation that occurs with that. I'm more wakeful, so I've got an increased amount of wakefulness as a term, and so I'm buzzed, I'm stimulated, and that's the stimulus. And the stimulus is a blocking of drowsiness, less so than a bona fide, I'm going to ramp up some stimulus here. You follow me? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, making yeah. sense. Yeah, so the A1 receptors, as I said, cerebellum, uh, hypothalamus, the hippocampus, you know, the cortex, all, <laughs> all those areas of the brain that I know you'll, you know, you love those. The A2 types are more around the striatum. There's a dopamine adaptation. There's D1, D2 receptors. So they're dopamine receptors. Yep. So the A2 has a bit more of impact on dopamine function. Again, I mentioned right back at the start that there's a adenosine receptors actually reduce things like serotonin, things like those neurotransmitters, acetylcholine, dopamine, etc. So by blocking those receptors, we're actually getting more of those. Yep. 
So there's a lot of positives coming out of that is probably what I would suggest to you. Um, and so it's complicated. It, you know, it's complex physiology, but there are three effective mechanisms. The main one though is the adenosine receptors that will, instead of inhibiting things like serotonin and acetylcholine, we're now getting a stimulatory effect. So improved mood, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. All positives. Yeah, or much more positive than negative. Um, and so there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff there. Interesting, a lot of people with caffeine need to go to the toilet. So we get that, asked that question a lot. The laxative effect. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing, right? What I didn't know... You're going to dump some science on us here? No, no, it's not even that hardcore science, but... Dump some science. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, you dodged so, You're not yeah. going to talk about that. There's a thing called cholinergic acid that's been implicated in the whole process of... So it's located within prunes. So there is a... It has a laxative effect. Yep. So... One of the things, it's an active component of coffee, Okay. right? So coffee more so than caffeine. Yep. That's probably the difference, right? So caffeine's in coffee. Coffee isn't caffeine. Everyone's aware of that, right? I think a lot of people probably learned something then. But the other thing is that we talk about different types of caffeine, mm. anhydrous, etc. doesn't matter. Yep. Caffeine, in, in terms of what I've just talked about with adenosine receptors and that sort of thing, doesn't matter how you get your caffeine. Yep. Caffeine, as far as how your body interprets it, is caffeine. Caffeine's caffeine. Yeah, but coffee, if you're drinking coffee, there's the cholinergic acid that's also in prunes that does a couple of things one of which it acts on well basically submucous nerves and what are called gastric myenteric structures within the gut that increases gastric emptying fundamentally and so you get an influx of gastric digestive metabolites and all this sort of thing small intestines you get what's called a gastro gastrocolic reflux makes you want to go to the toilet what's also interesting and i only learned this when i was reading because i thought you might ask me about it is that there is an actual increase in anal sphincter contraction power the you anal sphincter just say that again well i was gonna i said it quickly because i don't really want to talk about it <laughs> anyway bottom me. line is bottom there are <laughs> there are yeah terrible there are a number of concurrent actions taking place within the gut and around the sphincter that make you want to defecate that's it, why people go to toilet after morning coffee yeah so don't have prunes with your coffee wow and don't have caffeine loaded prune juice i think that could be pretty nasty you also asked me i think you said at the very start individual variation yeah that's a so big one we do have probably responders and non-responders some people just go nah it does nothing for me other people say one coffee and i'm all jittery and i yeah, exactly. you know, can't do anything i mentioned it all gets broken down and mobilized within the liver there's that p450 enzyme i mentioned and there's actually an enzyme it's a cyp1a i think it is enzyme I, I should double check that but basically we have a genetic variation of this enzyme it's an aromatase version of this enzyme the cyp1a i'm pretty sure mm -hmm. and individuals who have that polysynaptic morphism which is a genetic trait have a basically they metabolize caffeine more quickly than people who don't have that okay so i've had that test i don't you've never had it have no, you? no okay so i've had i've done the gene test to see whether i have it because i would drink i could drink five cups of coffee at midnight go straight to sleep doesn't seem to I'm do much for me right and i know i'm a habitual user and i know that habitual users do have a, a, a reduced effect i know people say there's research that doesn't support that but mm -hmm. there's research that would absolutely categorize confirm that for us anyway so about 46 percent of people have this trait this okay. genetic trait so it's pretty common it's half of us yeah almost half yeah there are some populations that don't metabolize caffeine pretty well ethiopians believe it or not they have a very low xanthine so 
I mentioned it's a dimethylxanthine mm-hmm. or trimethylxanthine. So th- if you don't oxidize xanthine very well, you don't metabolize caffeine very well. So Japanese, Caucasian supplies, surprisingly enough, and, and Spanish people. So right? yeah, apparently that's what the research says. That's what I've sort of plucked out of that. So there is a, a, an absolute categoric genetic trait that's associated with being able to metabolize it more or less. And so you can be guaranteed if you're someone who's really hypersensitive to caffeine that you're a slow metabolizer, I would say, um, which means you know it's still in your system very quickly you're going to digest it very quickly, but it's going to be there for a long time. Yeah, okay. And there's a whole, like there's a lot of other things that impact on it. Pregnancy is a big one, um, and probably a conversation around health and you know safe levels. And I mentioned at the start that 400 milligrams in otherwise pop, um, healthy populations is considered safe, not necessarily for pregnant women. The recommendations are lower than that. You know, around about under 300 milligrams is considered pretty safe. The thing with pregnancy is that the half life is dramatically increased by, you know, fivefold. So, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It could be in your system for eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours. So, and I think it's a fairly unsubstantiated space because it's pretty hard to research. On yeah, pregnant people. you're a pretty game person. Yeah, that um, even you know there are some levels, and I'm not going to get into because it's probably appropriate not to. But there are some levels in the research that are associated with really adverse outcomes with pregnancy, and I would encourage people to read around that. But higher doses, over 300 milligrams, you don't want to be in that neighbourhood if okay. you're a pregnant woman. That would be my recommendation. I would keep it under 300 milligrams because of the. What's pro- going to happen if we go over? Well, what does the research say? Well, the research says that there are levels that can lead to spontaneous abortion. Wow, yeah, okay. it's dire. That's why I'm saying the recommendations, you know, you would not be want to be in the 400 milligram neighborhood. Anywhere near it. Don't go anywhere near it. That would be a, you know, I'm not a medical practitioner, but I, you know, based on the research that Gaston and others has really confirmed that you don't want to be anywhere near that. If you're uh, pregnant, you don't know what you're doing, go see a doctor. Yeah, hundred percent. Before you do anything, mm. go and see a doctor. Especially um, if you're trying to get pregnant too. Yeah, all that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it, in terms of the, the, the impact on the fetus, it's probably, I don't think it's really been that well substantiated, but it's probably due to the fact that because it's, a cir- it's circulating for longer, maybe there's an impact. I, I don't know the answer to that. But again, that's where you go and see your obstetrician, you know, and you have a conversation with them around all that sort of thing. And, and at all times, be super, super safe. Is there any um, research about breastfeeding mothers? I haven't read it, to be perfectly honest. I well, haven't read it. There would be. dodge it then. I, I can't answer it, but I would say absolutely categorically, it would appear here in the breast milk definitely that's a big one that would be the other big one um in terms of positive health benefits there's great evidence around reduced risk of alzheimer's Mm -hmm. there's great evidence around uh, reductions of cirrhosis of the liver colorectal cancer liver cancer skin some types of skin uh, skin cancers things like that there's good research in primates and parkinson's disease imagine being in that one throwing some caffeine in some apes yeah, that could probably get pretty messy. But any, any um, videos we can watch there? I don't know about that one, but it's mainly around the A2A adenosine receptor antagonistic function and dopamine function because we know well Parkinson's is a, is basically a loss of what are called dopaminergic neurons within a particular part of the brain called the substantia nigra (N-I-G-R-A) pars compactium, which is a, an area of the brain that has a drop in dopamine levels, and we know there's a characteristic tremor and all of that sort of thing. So the evidence in humans is not as well established as it is in some of the primates. So I think in humans, and again, I think you'd probably look at it as a complementary type therapy more so than a bona fide 
treatment strategy, yep. but promising in terms of what's out there. The other one that's interesting is reduced risk of heart attack or heart disease. Is that right? Yeah, so there's a big meta-analysis done in 2012. Four cups of coffee reduced your risk of heart attack by 11%. Wow. Yeah, one to three cups of coffee reduced your risk of heart attack by between four and 10%. But again, when it comes to too much of a good thing not being a good thing necessarily, there was some evidence that over 11 cups a day does create an increase in risk. Minor, but still are at increased risk. So what's that in um, milligrams oh, of caffeine? Probably. It depends on how you drink your coffee, but up to 800 milligrams yep, okay. in a day. A lot of people get that. There'd be that. a lot of people hitting that easily. Yeah, it was slight, but you know. There's some other issues. People who are, there's a thing called basically an increased amount of anxiety that, that comes with caffeine in persons who otherwise don't have anxiety-related disorders. It actually seems to be a genetic thing around that A2 receptor again. And then there's a thing called a, a 1976TC genotype that is associated with that. And so there's a genetic propensity for an increased amount of anxiety when they don't have any other anxiety disorders, just with caffeine gives them anxiety. That's interesting. Interesting. Anyway, um, the other one's weight loss. I mentioned four milligrams per kilo, about eight calories, eight to nine calories per hour in terms of metabolic thermogenesis, yep. which is kind of cool. That's mostly on the back of a catecholamine response I mentioned, which is the catecholamine response. If we go back another level, it was the PDE, the pho- uh, phosphodiesterase. Mm-hmm. if we really want to get technical. so and We love technical. But well, cyclic AMP. So when someone says to me, how does it increase your thermogenesis? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it basically inhibits PDEs. That increases cyclic AMP. That increases catecholamines. It increases your heart rate and your blood pressure. Side effects, uh, all the usual suspects. You know, people get a bit jittery. They get gastrointestinal upsets, things like that. Nausea, nervousness. You can have, you know, someone when asks I'm, me. When I'm getting jitters, what's actually happening? You are having an, uh, a, a, probably a hyper response effect to you're having a heightened cognitive stimulus so your adenosine receptors mm-hmm. are being overloaded so you're getting that anxiety associated with, that with increased heart rate response so you're having a, an increased flight or fight response yep. and that almost like that caffeine induced anxiety that occurs when you, you sort of just get really jittery and can't sit still so your metabolism's gone up you've got a catecholamine response and your receptors have been antagonistically blocked so you get an increased dopamine response you're buzzed and you don't tolerate that particularly well and you've had an experience of yourself haven't you i've had i have had several experiences we started touching that earlier well yeah i mean when it comes down to fatal dose how much is a fatal dose of caffeine the literature tells us between 36 and 40 milligrams per kilo 100 kilos give or take 4,000 milligrams of caffeine you are smashing some serious caffeine. well you're gonna hurt yourself Mm. and so the experience that i've we've had i've had what you probably 2000 this is always asked before you steal something kids oh yeah i'm gonna get the kids in a minute no, 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 not but, kids. I'm talking about Macca came in the R&D lab one day and we oh, had a, pre- no, but a pre-workout. No, there for me. Would, there was no <laughs> theft involved. We had a new pre-workout. So back in the out. day, what year would that be? Let's tell it just straight up. Oh, Let's just... 2000, maybe 2009, came in, new chaos, about to product research and development And you were sending place. it to the UK to get drug um, tested. It was getting a drug test. I was also operating as a clandestine factory pilot <laughs> for body science. <laughs> Someone's got to take a hit with a new product, right? Someone's yeah. got to, you know. Yeah, exactly. Be the, what is it? Who was the dude that tested the, the meals of the king back in the day? Yeah, so I don't, I don't anyway, know how that rolls. Well, I don't yeah. know how that rolls either. Yeah. But anyway, so I uh, walk in and there's a black tub and they said, that's the new chaos, Macca. 
Rip in. Righto. Away I go. So I go home. It just says chaos. K-O-S. Nothing else. Hmm. So I crack it open. Looks fair enough to me. It's got a scoop in there. And I remember looking at it thinking, that's a relatively large scoop for a pre-workout. Had a protein scoop in it. It had a protein scoop in it, which was around about a 20 gram serve, yep. give or take. Most pre-workout serves are about the 5 to 10 gram, yep. give or take. Yep. They're a little scoop. And anyone, everyone knows what I'm talking about here. You get your proteins, a big scoop, little little pre-workouts, normally a little scoop. Anyway, no, no, go- no instructions. So usually, it's because we had no idea you'd taken it. Well, yeah. I mean, so two <laughs> scoops is usually what most people do. So what did you do? Well, I had two scoops of the two, of the B1. So I've had a 40 gram serve of what probably should have been a 5 to 10 gram serve, yeah. 300 milligrams per serve. So what, if you do the math on that, about 2,500 milligrams of caffeine. I may or may not have already had several energy drinks that day. And so I reckon I was rolling around 2,800, 2,900 milligrams of caffeine. At, at the time, I was probably 110 kilos. And was rolling the word there you just said? I was rolling. Rolling. No, no, I was shredded. <laughs> I was absolutely peeled. I was a walking anatomy um, <laughs> I was, specimen. I was more talking after the 2,800 milligrams of caffeine. Oh, after the 2,800 yeah. milligrams of caffeine. No, no, I drove myself to the A&E. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those times in life, you know, one of those times in life, I don't know if you've ever had one, Gregory, where you go, I'm in trouble. Something is not right. And so... How long after you took the, not long, the overdose? Of... I reckon 30 minutes. Yeah, and I was right? thinking, blurred vision. Did you try eating or anything? Did you try no, anything you could? No, I didn't. I was going to go train. And then I thought, I was driving myself to the gym and I thought, I probably need to take a detour and just go to a and Went there, they hooked me up to the... Um, did an ECG, did all the usual thing. I was fine. Oh, I had a little bit of increased cardiac output. How's your vision? At the time. Mm. Yeah, no, no, I was I was blurred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, blurred vision. Didn't, I wasn't, didn't vomit. I was pretty crooked though. I didn't have diarrhea or anything. Okay. No, no, not from memory. Anyway. Did you go to sleep that night? Eventually. But uh, good lesson learned there to um, always, always... read the label and stay true to the label. ask questions and exactly. um, don't go crazy. What is interesting though, because that leads into a conversation around some of the, what I consider to be hysteria around yeah. caffeine and there is a lot of hysteria around caffeine well yeah i mean that it's not necessarily very good for you potentially mm. uh, I, I i have read very little around that being the case and if you do look if you read in and you dig into the science if you look at the data that so the, the good data well the most data that i can find comes from places like the national poison data center in the u.s who mm-hmm. publish their data on a yearly basis okay have so, you got any data from you got any facts from there that we can yeah, yeah absolutely so if you look at the national the american national poison data system so this was published in the clinical toxicology journal in okay. uh let's say 2013 and it was an analysis of energy drink toxicity basically mm-hmm. and so along the lines of this perhaps level of uh, hysteria around how bad energy drinks are for you okay 2.3 million calls to that center wow. around caffeine related toxicity right and everyone goes, wow, that's terrible. 2.3 million calls, that's really, really bad. But if you dig into the research, 50% half of those calls, so 1.15 million calls related to the overdose of children under six. Stop it. Taken under six. energy drinks. Yeah. So you got half of those calls on kids. So who gives, you got to ask yourself, right? Who gives their four-year-old a can of Monster or, or wow. listen, forget the brand. Who gives their four-year-old a can of energy drink for breakfast? Seriously. And what's also incredibly alarming on top of that, another 15%. So for a total of, another 15% were kids under 12. So 65% of all adverse findings relating to 12 caffeine. 12-year-old under. 12 or under. Wow. So only 30-odd percent 
relate to the rest of the population over the age of 12. So that tells me that, you know, there's some skewed data that floats around with regard to how bad it is. I mean, you just got to ask yourself, that means the average 10-year-old, if you go on the recommendations of this Lavello and others have told us that, or it might be Gaston, I can't remember, but we can put the research yep. on the at the end of the transcript. They say about two and a half milligrams per kilo. I, I would... I wouldn't be giving kids any caffeine. What, for kids? Yeah. I wouldn't be giving Someone's them any. Someone's actually measured that. Yeah, I know. How do you do that, right? Wow. So that, that's, a, that's a 10-year-old. I've seen those kids out, though. Well, you, you think about it, mate. Like, I know they don't sell a lot of energy drinks in tuck shops anymore, and I think they've stopped selling things like iced coffees. But, you know, you can get an iced coffee at the local petrol station. Yeah, caffeine loaded. Mils, yep. It's loaded with caffeine, yeah. mate. Like 500 milligrams of caffeine in it. That's double what a pre-workout has, mm. and that's in a that's in a milk-based drink. So you can see how a kid could make the mistake. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Easy. And an adult could probably easily inadvertently give it to a, a little Not kid. even knowing, yeah. Not even knowing. Yeah. So, you know, there's a few things there that are an interesting one. They'd but know not long after they gave it to them, though. Well, you wouldn't want it, right? They'd be bouncing yeah. off the yeah. off the things. Anyway, it's just food for thought, I suppose. It's interesting in terms of how that data looks. But for the most part, you know, by way of summary, we know that it's a good psychomotor stimulant. We know that it's generally not associated with a large amount of health adverse findings, uh, provided you keep the dosages, you know, relatively low I suppose mm -hmm. we always say proceed with caution and if you've got anything going on you need to get clearance from a doctor and all that sort of absolutely. thing absolutely in terms of um, memory and there's not a lot of good data that says that it does much for your memory but okay. there's there's some data around vigilance and attention span that is uh, there's a I only mention it because there is a little bit of data that suggests that we do have some improvements in what are called lower order cognitive function things like reaction time you know drinking a red bull is not going to make you have a better memory Mm -hmm. Might give you wings, but it won't give you a better memory. Yep. So things like that necessary, but that's not. I mean, that's not why you take it. You, you know, it's a it's a it's a caffeine drink for for a stimulant, and it yep. does that very well. Good uptake, rapid uptake in the system for a relatively long period of time, and has some physical benefits associated with, but also some cognitive benefits. I would just say to people to be open-minded when when you hear about research you know the, the sky is not always falling and just be open-minded around it um, so would your athletes be using caffeine 100 percent. yeah and you know you get into a conversation you mentioned adrenal fatigue at the start and i I'll probably just come back to it around cortisol people who are they call them naive users of caffeine if someone never ever takes any caffeine right and you give them a therapeutic dose let's say we give you four four milligrams per kilo so you're 70 kilos i'm going to give you 250 you, you take a pre-workout yep never had it before in your life i don't think it's it's an unreasonable expectation to think that that's going to have a fairly significant yeah, game impact. On. Of course it is, right? So you, will you get a spike in cortisol? Of course you will. Yep. You know, probably, you know, they'll say 200%. 200% spike in cortisol is nothing, okay. really. In the big scheme of things, half-life 60 minutes, we talked about this before. Yep. Residual effect... The caffeine will stay high. The cortisol won't. You know, it'll it'll drop off as the half-life drops off and that sort of thing. So cortisol drops, you feel good. And, you know, there are other products out there, like, you know, the the, uh, the clinical product, the hydroxyburn clinical, which has got other products in there, like the, the blueness and yeah. things like that, that, that actually will counteract that. Good evidence. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that supports the use of these ingredients into a single blend mm -hmm. that justifies its use. Yep. And we know that habitual users because there is good research around habitual users and those are those people that take more than uh, between three or, or at least 400 milligrams per day. Yep. That's a lot of people in that ballpark. They don't have the huge spikes. You become attuned to it. So if you think about... And cortisol you're talking about. I'm talking about cortisol, yeah. right? So I'm talking about the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that lends itself to, we know we've got a catecholamine response. So anything you put in the body has a stress response. Mm -hmm. Food, drink, exposure to light, hot, 
cold, whatever. Okay. All causes cortisol to go up, right? We can't avoid it, but it's been demonized, and we've talked about this before in episode one. But it's not like it goes through the roof and it stays there. It, you know, it, it, there's a half-life of under 60 minutes generally. So it will be metabolized and, and reutilized and it'll drop off eventually, right? But if you are accustomed to using caffeine, you won't get a 300% spike in cortisol. There's mm-hmm. no way in the world. Will it go up? Probably a little bit, but not like a naive user who's never had it before in their life. So, you know, that's where when you're looking at products and you're going, oh, well, this is in there and that's in there. It's like, okay, so caffeine's in there. Does that produce an increase in cortisol? Yes. But if I'm a habitual user, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference in my day. No-brainer. It's a no-brainer, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at it on a holistic perspective, have a cup of coffee. It's the same as having, have a couple of cups of coffee. You're still going to have a large amount of caffeine. Yeah. You're still going to get a cortisol response from coffee. I think I'd get a bigger one if I didn't have the cup of coffee. For sure. Especially before 10 a.m. There you go, right? So, yeah, there's a whole range of things. And if you're training in the morning, if you're a morning trainer, you know, that's what you want to do. You, you need to get up and about and get your workout done. I, I don't. Tra- I can't train in the morning. Never could. I'm an evening trainer. I like the evening train as well. Yeah, I just find it's just not my thing. You, you talked about Parkinson's and some disease, some long-term degenerative diseases yep. that we suffer, and caffeine at the moment is showing some great steps towards not going down that path. Is that the right way to say uh, it? As or? A, to reduce your risk? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What I'm heading to is a lot of people tend to back off their caffeine as they get older. Mm. Bad? I don't know. Not bad, but no need to. No need to? No. I don't know why they would do that. What, did, Maybe the whole toilet thing. Sore yeah. knees, bad hips, I, reaction times. I, I don't think there's any need to drop off your caffeine intake. I think that they, people get concerned about blood pressure. And, and this is where it matters, right? Yep. So if you, have, if you are hypertensive, if you have high blood pressure and you're on medication for high blood pressure, yep. then absolutely you're going to take something that gives you increased blood pressure. So that that's where it's a balancing act. Yep. What's so, worse, a little bit of blood pressure or the benefits of not? Well, you don't want high blood pressure. Okay. Um, hypertension long-term, the little bit of benefit that you might get from some caffeine versus the long-term. guaranteed long-term negative effect of having long-term blood pressure and hypertension. So over 140 millimeters of mercury for your, you know, for your systolic and your diastolic yep. and that sort of thing. So if you're clinically hypertensive yeah that's a that's a you need to manage that as a much higher priority than having a little bit of caffeine to maybe reduce your risk of alzheimer's okay because uh this is you got to deal with health as it presents so Mm -hmm. what i'm if you've got it right now and that's a problem is caffeine going to give you high blood pressure long term there's no evidence to suggest that that's going to happen but if you've already got it then you've got to manage your diet including your caffeine intake and everything else along with that it's a lot bigger than caffeine it's not just caffeine to reduce that risk Mm -hmm. it's probably what you're saying with it with perhaps an older population dropping their caffeine off they're probably being told to do that because they're on medications yep and in that case just refer to your clinic your clinician but i would say yeah, yeah your caffeine's not that important mate i'm pretty excited about where you've gone before that <laughs> like because it, it was a bit of a winding road but i think we covered most of the stuff we wanted to get to yeah you've talked about side effects you've talked about hormone interactions you've talked about thermos and weight loss yep heart disease Yep. performance, training, using it pre-training, pregnancy. Yep. Somehow children got in there. I've got no idea, but children got in there as well. well I can't believe be that nearly 2 million kids in America. That's crazy. Mm. Mate, any closing remarks on caffeine? Let's, do you want to debunk a couple of myths? Do you want to uh, Well, I think we've debunked this? a couple around caffeine 
as a I don't know if it's the if it's debunking myths, but certainly it's not the big bad wolf. Yep. Certainly there are some bona fide long term health benefits potentially. Am I, I'm not saying that you need to go out and you know have thousands of milligrams of caffeine every no, day. No, you haven't but, said that either. But no, no, but. Certainly in terms of it's it, there is some good research around long-term health benefits for some forms of cancer, some uh, neurocognitive benefits long-term, reducing our risk of some of those, you know, Alzheimer's, for example, things like that. You know, there's some good data there, gut health, things like that. Okay. Mm. So I think gut health is a big one. People are confused around, I think I touched on this, I might be repeating myself, but because gut health and microbiome and everything's very popular at the moment and everyone's talking very about popular. it. And, you know, my view is that it's, it's, it's a link in the chain, right? It's mm-hmm. one of the important variables. Most people tell you that it's the most important, but they're probably the gut zealots of the world. Yep. I do, does caffeine and energy drinks and coffee have an impact on your gut microbiome? I agree it probably does, but no one can tell me how. Yep. and to what end and I think we'll get there eventually but we're not there at the moment until someone can show me that I'm going to keep drinking you know my coffees and, and so forth and my pre-workouts because we'll adapt when the data's available rather than just go well we think it does something I don't know what but in the meantime people are making a lot of money out of doing fecal testing and all this sort of thing and th- it's best guess that would be my suggestion to you in terms of that gut health stuff yep. it matters but it's we're not where we, we think we are well mate thanks for coming on board today cool Really appreciate that. Caffeine's a big one. We're going to put up a few notes at the bottom of bodyscience.com.au forward slash podcast. Mac, your Instagram, have you done any work on it since oh, you've been on? It's my been Instagram is amazing. Okay, there you go. At the Dr. Mac. If you're not following me, you are missing <laughs> out. Seriously. Check out the cat. The, the number one. Check I've, out the cat. I may have hit a thousand. No, I don't even think I've hit a thousand. There's That'd be all those cat lovers. Hey? All the cat lovers. I have a cat. His name's Bruce. He's a legend. And he's pretty cool. I'm not necessarily a cat person. You want to know a story? Yeah. I'll tell you the story because people go, Mac, you're a cat person. Yeah. I'm not a cat person or a dog. I'm an animal person. I'm a lover of animals. This is a good story, isn't it? Well, yeah. I had some... So I used to see this cat uh, walking around in the street, right? Yep. My neighbors abandoned him, right? Which isn't good. They moved out and they left him behind. Is that right? Yep. Did the right thing. Took him to the vet. Tried to track down the owners. They didn't want him. They abandoned him, right? So I, I opened my door one day and he walked in and he hasn't left. And he might have put on five or six kilos since then because he lives pretty Keto good life. cat. <laughs> yeah. But um, what are you going to do, right? You can't kick him out. You know, he's a good little fella. He likes to sit on the couch and watch the, f- watch the football watch with Watch the footy him. with you. Yeah, yeah he sits up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's good. He's a good cat. He's a good friend. Yeah, so... Bruce the Cat, catch oh, him on Bruce, his Instagram. Bruce rocks. <laughs> no, he can't have his own Instagram because I can't run my own, so uh, I can't run two. Nice. Thanks, Thanks for coming in, mate. Always a great pleasure. Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement, or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.